pastor in Grand Rapids, uh, Michigan, of Heritage uh, Reformed Church. And so we're going to talk tonight about godliness uh, in the home. William Perkins says uh, Beaky and Jones, who lived in 1558 and died in 1602, said the only rule of ordering the family is the written word of God. Um, Psalm 101 was a favorite of the Puritans when it came to godliness in the home. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn and look at Psalm 101 briefly with me, at least the first couple verses here. Psalm 101, Matthew Henry called Psalm 101 the householder's psalm, the householder's psalm. That is, people who lived, boys and girls, in in the homes, people who owned homes. Um, William Plummer, whose uh, years were 1802 to 1880, William Plummer notes that in the 17th century, people would have sermons preached when a new home was established or a new domicile was occupied or constructed. Often they looked at the records of these psalms and found that Psalm 101 was often uh, a psalm that was used in that service. That is, any time they dedicated uh, a new home or a new family was just recently wed and uh, they were entering into the home, they often would preach a sermon uh, in preparation. Psalm 101 reads in verse 1, I will sing of the loving kindness and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praises. I will give heed to the blameless way. When will you come to me? And then it says, I will walk in my house in the integrity of my heart. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. So in verse 1, we see that we are to lead our families in justice and mercy. William Gouge, who was a Puritan writer, said that no duty on the husband's part can be rightly performed except it be seasoned with love, he said. His look, speaking of the husband, his look, his speech, his carriage, or his conduct, and all his action, wherein he hath to do with his wife, must be seasoned with love. As salt must be first and last upon the table and eaten with every bit, bit of meat, he said, so must love be first in a husband's heart and last out of it and mixed with everything he had to do with his wife. So the first thing that they said, that if we are to live godly lives in the home, then love is going to have to be at the heart of everything we do. And it begins with the husband and the father of the home that the father's life be a life of love toward his wife and uh, towards his children. William Googe also, according to Beakey, I'm getting this again from Beakey and Jones, William Googe warned against, quote, too much austerity and severity on the part of fathers to their children. <clears throat> he warned against, quote, sourness in countenance, sourness in countenance, Threatening and reviling words, too hard handling, too severe in correction, too much restraint of liberty, 
too small allowance for things needful. When correcting, Guj urges that we begin gently, use all persuasive motives to draw your children and allure them, if possible, to the ways of God. For example, he says, tell them the rewards of glory, the sweet society in heaven. Endeavor to satisfy their hearts that God is able to fill their souls with such joys as are not to be found in the creatures. Then, he says, rebukes administered must be humbly and respectfully done uh, if a family member persists in sin. He also suggests that parents should correct one another only privately and not in front of the children, that uh, we not undermine the parents' authorities in the eyes of their children. And then if you look at verse 2 of Psalm 101, I will give heed to the blameless way. When will you come to me? I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. Uh, We see this. The Puritan said, walking godly in our homes requires times of seeking personal communion with God. God's words must be on our own heart as parents. So the Puritans advocated for setting time aside in your daily schedule especially with uh, meditation. Now, it has to be understood that when the Puritans speak of meditation, they're not speaking of meditation in the way that Eastern religions speak of it. Eastern religions um, will speak of meditation in terms of emptying the mind. But when the Puritans speak of the um, work of meditation, they think of it as hovering like a bee, over a flower, they said, um, that, to, that we hover over verses in the Bible so that, that we might have a, a reading um, of a chapter or less, and actually, they, uh, for family worship, suggested less. Um, they said 10 to 20 verses maybe in the morning and 10 to 20 verses at night. And so, um, but out of that reading, then hovering over maybe one or two verses, like a bee over a flower. Um, We are to walk in our houses with integrity. um, And they said that we are to guard abhorrent thoughts or cast them out, rather. Abhorrent thoughts from our minds. He says we must guard our souls by what we let into our souls. Uh, you, some of you may have read Holy War by John Bunyan. And Bunyan, of course, is known for Pilgrim's Progress chiefly, but he wrote another book called Holy War. And Man's Soul, who is under siege, and, um, and he said we have to be careful what we let in the ear gate and the eye gate because it affects our soul. And so Beaky and Mark Jones recommend limits on media influences. Now, of course, this is not just pornography. That, of course, is axiomatic. But even, they say, be careful of more subtle worldliness. I've heard others say that they have felt the greatest danger comes from the things that are not so overtly uh, sinful, but maybe even more things like commercials that give a worldview that is antithetical to the Christian 
world and life view. Also, we should remember Philippians, if you have your Bible, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Here's the things that we ought to keep in our mind and meditate on those things that are lovely, good, uh, excellent, worthy of praise. We dwell on these things. Now, <clears throat> godliness in the home, if it is to be cultivated, the Puritans also believe very strongly on the use of family worship. Now, we touched on this last week, but I want to go into more detail tonight, and we're not going to finish, I think, uh, tonight. Uh, everything I have to say on this subject, but let's start. Um, The Puritans on family worship, they believe that God often uses the restoration of family worship actually to bring reformation and revival to the church, which I think is interesting. I think in my mind, I've often thought of revival to the church that leads to reformation in the home. They actually believe that as you begin to reform your lives in the home, that uh, the Puritans viewed the family as what they called a microchurch, a little church, a little congregation, so that every household's a little church. And as the little churches are reformed and revived, it has a seasoning influence on the larger church. Um, Let me read to you on page 864. They cite a covenant that the congregation in Dorchester, Massachusetts, in 1677 um, wrote. This is a church that made a covenant with each other. Now, this would have been congregational Puritanism up in New England, uh, up in Dorchester, uh, Massachusetts. The church covenant of the Puritan congregation in Dorchester included a commitment, quote, to reform our families. This is what they pledged to each other as a church. To reform our families, engaging ourselves to a conscientious care, to set before us and to maintain the worship of God in them, that is, in our homes, in our families. We'll worship as families. And to walk in our houses with perfect hearts, in a faithful discharge of all domestic duties, educating, instructing, and charging our children and households to keep the ways of the Lord. So this was something, as a part of their covenant as a church, they promised one another that they would be maintaining worship in their homes. The Puritans took the duty of family worship so seriously that to neglect it, says Beakey, it was considered a form of quote, covenant breaking with God and betraying the souls of their children to the devil, unquote. It says that they said that the kingdom of Satan is built upon twin errors. Number one, ignorance. And number two, uh, error. Satan's kingdom is built on two things, ignorance, number one, and error, number two. Now, where is the scriptural warrant for this? 
Well, the Puritans looked to a number of places. First of all, in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 19, it says here that Abraham, the Lord speaks here, and he says, Abraham, quote, will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord. They would cite 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8. I will therefore... I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. That is, notice here that that Paul is telling Timothy that he wants men everywhere, not just the minister lifting up holy hands as he leads the congregation in the pastoral prayer. He wants men everywhere lifting up holy hands. That is, that men are to be lifting up holy hands in their families was the application here. That this is not a a duty just for some men or for ordained men or for the minister, but that all men would pray, lifting up holy hands. And therefore, they applied it to family worship. You have the examples in addition to Abraham. You have Joshua, who said, as for me and my home, we would worship the Lord. You have... Uh, That's in Joshua 24, verse 15. You have in Acts chapter 10, verse 2, Cornelius. Uh, Cornelius gathers his family to hear from Peter the preaching of the word. Um, In 2 Samuel chapter 6, and verse 20, you have David, who after coming home from public worship after the covenant, excuse me, the Ark of the Covenant comes into Jerusalem. David goes home uh, with his family, and he prays and blesses his uh, family, he prays a blessing over his household. Job chapter 1, verse 5, Job offers sacrifices for all his children. The Puritans believe that that was done in the presence of the children as well, um, not just apart from them. Now, what are the elements of, of this family worship here? I want to give you a few here, and then uh, we'll look at some that come from the Uh, directory of family worship in Scotland. Of course, the Word of God has to be central. Um, If you have your Bible, look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And look at verse 6 and 7. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 6 and 7. Now, of course, the greatest commandment in the Bible is in Deuteronomy 6.5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Notice, though, in the following verse, these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And then verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand that they shall be frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So that the Puritans here would view that uh, the instruction that is commanded here, fathers to children, um, be done in the home here. This is part of the training. It doesn't mean it's only at the home, but it must be done in the home if we live godly lives here. If fathers are away... The Puritans said, then the wife must take the lead. If a husband has to go out of town, he's got work or something, and that leads him away, then the wife uh, would uh, take over. 
though I have known um, of a uh, submarine uh, commander who um, was a serious Christian and um, actually during the five or six months he was at home, um, he would prepare the five or six months worth of devotions that then his wife would play. He would record them, you know, um, and then they could just hit the recording and he would do the devotions in his absence, you know, with the family when he was at sea. Um, prayer and praise and daily thanksgiving. Um, Matthew Henry's father, um, lesser known than his son, but Philip Henry um, quotes Psalm 118, verse 15. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacles, or that can be translated in the tents of the righteous. That is, the voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the home. And he argues that joyful singing should come from homes of the righteous. Quote, here's a quote, the sound of rejoicing and salvation should rise from family homes on a daily basis. The mercies of God are new every morning, so ought also be the praises of God. Now in 1647, the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland adopted a directory for family worship. Now the directory of family worship is different than the directory of public worship that the Westminster divines uh, adopted. But, so the Church of Scotland adopted all the Westminster standards, including the Confession of Faith, the Larger Catechism, Shorter Catechism, and the Directory of Public Worship. But in addition to that, it was interesting, the Church of Scotland said, you know, there's something else that's missing here. We need a directory of family worship. And so they, they created a directory of, of family worship here with concise directions in its implementation here. Now, in this directory of family worship, the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland said that it was not to replace private devotions of individuals. So, boys and girls, you, that means you can't slough off your own private Bible reading because your dad and mom are faithful in leading you in family worship. You can't say, well, I did that, you know, when I was with the family. So they say it's not to replace your private devotions. But... They list here six elements uh, for family worship, six elements. Number one is prayer. Number two, praises, what they call praises. Number three, the reading of Scripture, reading of Scriptures. Number four, catechizing in a plain way, catechizing in a plain way. Number five, godly conferences tending to the edification of all. <laughs> Godly, and I will explain some of this as we go. Godly conferences tending to the edification of all. Number six, admonition and rebuke upon just reasons from those who have authority in the family. Admonition and rebuke upon just reasons from those who have authority in the family. Let's talk about some of these, and I'm going to cut it short here, okay? Number one, prayer. Um, what... What should they do? Well, they were to pray for the church, for the nation, for the family. These are the elements of prayer that the Church of Scotland suggested. Number one was adoration. We should begin with praise of God, his attributes, uh, his being. Number two, petitions. We should bring our petitions to the Lord. Um, number three, that we should make intercession for world missions. 
intercession for world missions, that we should also pray for the persecuted church, that we should pray for the nation in which we live and the government, and that we should add thanksgiving. Now, it suggests to heads of households that these prayers be short. No more than five minutes is the suggested length. Uh, they, they have this line here that's funny. It says, God does not need to be instructed. <laughs> so be direct in your prayers. Don't go on explaining it. God already knows. They say, be direct. They also say, be varied in your prayers, in, in how you pray. So that's under prayer. Number two, psalm singing. Now, hymns were introduced in the latter Puritan era. At the beginning of the Puritan era, they would have only sung of psalms. But even with the introduction of hymn singing in the home, remember, it wasn't incorporated in public worship at at first. It was incorporated in family worship at first. So they said, sing psalms first and foremost, and then they said, without neglecting sound hymns. Sing psalms first and foremost without neglecting sound hymns. Sing heartily and sing with feeling. Sing heartily and sing with feeling. Number three, Scripture, have a plan, they said. When it comes to Bible reading, have a plan. Now, this is where they suggested maybe 10 to 20 verses in the morning and 10 to 20 verses at night. Maybe 10 to 20 verses uh, in the morning of the Old Testament, 10 to 20 verses at night in the New Testament. Um, So Old Testament, New Testament. But have some kind of plan. They recommend that over the long haul, though, we should be striving to read the entire Bible. Um, They suggest every family member who can read, every family member who's old enough to read, should have a Bible to follow along. They suggest that we assign portions uh, to everybody, wife, children, everybody. They said, teach the kids how to read clearly, understandably, and reverently. Teach the kids how to read clearly, understandably, and reverently. Uh, Number four, and I'm going to close here. We're going to end this early. Uh, I'll talk more about the other stuff next time. Uh, Catechizing. Um, the, The Scots divines said, don't shuffle catechizing off to the church. That is, don't just because we catechize on Wednesday nights, don't make that the only catechism that they do. Again, quoting from Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry says, quote, public catechizing will turn to little account without family catechizing. Children who learn at home uh, often do better in school as well. So they recommend that uh, catechizing be done regularly as a part of that family worship. I'm going to stop there uh, tonight, and we'll pick up Uh, more on the directory of family worship 